You are not your thoughts, but your thoughts do make your reality. And now for Egg Birth Beast. Hello, Ark. I mean, as far as I could tell, if God woke you up this morning, still has you breathing right now, it means he's not done with you yet. And as far as I can tell, if God's not done with you yet, it means any night is a mighty fine night. (laughs) I'm George, and this is my imagination station. Today, the sermon in which I am to preach is a little bit of a confusing one to me, or at least it was. Have you ever taken notes, say, years, months, weeks, or even just days ago? And then you look back on those notes, and it was as though they were written in a foreign language. As though you can't seem to decipher what the past you meant to say. And it's just chaotic. Yeah, that was me when I look back at this. (laughs) The title of this sermon was initially supposed to be Egg Birth Beast. And I was going to be preaching it for Easter, hence the egg. It was supposed to be in line with the holiday as well as symbolic to the whole sermon. And then when I look back, I didn't even know what the title meant. But (laughs) it was brought together for something amazing nonetheless. Please bow your heads for a word of prayer. Abba, Papa, I thank you for allowing for everybody to be here. Even though there's a lot of traffic, even though there are accidents, I thank you that we weren't in them, Father God. I just thank you for good health and keeping us another day. I thank you for keeping us another moment. Because our lives are fragile, yet you still protect us anyway. Even when we don't do right by you, you still keep us another day. Father God, I just thank you for not giving up on us. I thank you for not stopping to love us. And I just pray that you open our hearts and our minds that we can receive, Father God. Even if it's not a word said, but what the word meant, I pray that you will let everybody receive something from this message, Father God. I pray that this will be like a family, and even as we sit here, that there will be harmony, that there will be unity, that there will be cohesion, Father God, that there will be love, and we will feel the Holy Spirit flowing through this place, Father God. I just thank you for this moment, because this moment is the only thing that we're in, Father God. And I pray that you be with us here, that you be with us in the next moment, and that you be with us in every moment. We can't get away from you, and I hope that we enjoy being in your presence. We pray this prayer through the precious and the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior, and in the spirit of truth. May you speak through me. Amen. Amen. All right, let's jump right into it. So this sermon is about thoughts. You are not your thoughts, but your thoughts do make your reality. Some will say you're not your thoughts, but your thoughts will make your perception of reality. The thing is, there's not much difference here. If it's perception, what you perceive to be real is what's real to you. Thus, it still makes your reality. And this sermon is more about turning your thoughts away from carnal things, sinful things, to be in alignment with God's will. Let's start it off with the word. Proverbs 4, verses 23. Above all else, guard your hearts. For everything you do flows from it. So that's right there. That's the heart. That's emotion. You could say it's not necessarily your mind, but it is fair to point out the heart is usually symbolic and it gets a lot of credit for the mind's matters. But going straight to the mind, we have 
Mark 7, verses 20 through 23. And this isn't necessarily talking about the mind immediately. It's also about emotion. This right here, just the preface, is telling us what we ought not do in regards to our thoughts and focusing on. And I say, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, thefts, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceits, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. I didn't even have enough fingers to get all those off. (laughs) It's interesting, too, because a lot of these sinful and evil things are instantly gratifying. They're not even evils that set us up for long-term joy or fulfillment or even the simple happiness and feel-good. As a matter of fact, they're usually evils that right after we do them, we feel worse than before. They're usually evils that don't bring us long-term good or even moderate-time benefit, but long-term badness. If you commit murder today, the level of legal harms you're going to have is going to carry to the rest of your life. If you commit adultery, as long as you're in that relationship, you're going to be feeling guilt, shame. If you don't feel guilt and shame, that's even worse. (laughs) This leads me to say it's better to suffer through the temptations than to feel brief reprieve. Because, again, that's all it is, is brief. Now, you may be wondering, what do I do then? Of course, we're not perfect. All men fall short of the glorious standard of God. The first step is passion slash fervor. As Romans 12, 2 states, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So that doesn't explicitly state passion or fervor. But in order to bring that about, it requires both. See, in order to know what God's will is, you got to get in his word. The thing about his word is it's very far from simple. <laughs> There's multiple layers to even get in in his word. There's four things in particular. One, you got to read it. You got to know his word. But there's several people that know his word and have a complete misunderstanding of its meaning. Yeah. Number two, you got to understand his word. Yes. Number three, you got to meditate on his word. And number four, you have to memorize his word. Now, that fourth one was hitting me the hardest. I know whenever I hear about memorization of text and it's longer than half a page long, I immediately want to run the other direction. But it's what his word says to do. So I'm going to have to remain true. It requires passion and fervor because it ain't easy, but it's valid. And many times what we seek is long term fulfillment or joy, satisfaction. Yet we try and get it through these things that are evil and instantly gratifying. That which we seek comes through the reformation and renewing of the mind and the word. Going on further, this is stated explicitly to mark the word on your heart in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So earlier we were told what not to think about. Here we're told exactly what to think about. And it's important to monitor our thoughts. And I say this especially because thoughts tend to snowball. And I'm trying to find where I have it here, right here. 
It begins with thoughts. It then goes to your words, what you say, how you talk. It then goes to your actions, how you move, what you do. They then become habits. You start doing it a lot, doing it frequently. It then becomes a behavior. It's practically tied with you. You can't separate it from yourself. And then next, and finally, it becomes an identity. Not only can you not separate it from yourself, you don't want to, and you consider it to truly be part of yourself. It's why it's so important to shut these things down at the root, at the thoughts, at the reformation of your mind. Now, this leads into my next point, and it's spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare is an interesting topic. I mentioned it in several sermons before. And there's a point that I've never actually mentioned before. It's something that's stated fairly commonly in the church. And that's that the devil doesn't even want you to know that he's real. This is especially stated to non-believers or newer Christians. The devil is very real. He would want you to think he's not so because then he can move unhindered. But there's another layer to this. And that's the devil wants to mislead you in where he's moving. Many times we'll see it as our wallets, our pockets. The devil trying to come for our money. And it's the same way with blessings. I want God to bless me. And the only thought that comes to our mind are wallets. But a much more profound and significant way that the enemy can attack our lives is in our minds. Because again, it snowballs. He gets us thinking certain things. And then he gets us saying certain things. And then he gets us doing certain things. And we keep doing those things until we can't stop doing those things, until we consider those things parts of ourselves. And the whole time, we didn't even know the enemy was involved. If the devil can move unhindered because you're not recognizing how he's moving, that's just war strategy right there. (laughs) You got to be prepared. You have to reform your thoughts. Continuing on, there is the question of what inspires thoughts. Where are they coming from? Firstly, there's the content that you consume. This could very literally be anything. The news, Netflix, social media. The list goes on and on and on. Shoot, you may be addicted to the Bible, and that's the only thing you do consume. I know my dad mentioned at the start of one of his past sermons, it was either Thieves Part 1 or Part 2. He gave an example. What if you were addicted to the Bible? You couldn't go an hour without picking up your Bible. Whenever you were on your your date night, your wife had to tell you, could you put that Bible down for a moment? See, if that was you, the content that you consumed would very heavily, positively impact your thoughts and thus the way that you talked, act, so on and so forth. Though usually that's not the case. Number two, the people that you're around. There's a common saying that you'll be the aggregate of your five closest companions. It's valid. Though, that's not the only people you have to look out for. There's also teachers and educators. Even me up here ministering to you is influencing your very thoughts, your very emotions, very possibly the actions that you'll carry out later. You got to be on guard for just about everything, really. Because it's really easy for a teacher that you consider to be high in status, high in regard, to change the very trajectory of your life. And this is a double-edged blade because, yeah, they can make your life much, much better. What happens if they're a worker or the enemy? And it becomes important, again, to know the word and keep truth on your heart. I don't want you to just take what I say, go home and implement it, no other thoughts. I want you to take what I say and test it against the word. It's what you should do with just about any pastor. (laughs) Take what they say, look at the word, and make sure it aligns. If you don't do so, it may just lead you to fall. 
Continuing forth, there's also hobbies. Now, these are things that you've already reached the habit state. And you may think identity is really the highest point. I'm afraid to tell you that's not so. And the reason why I say this is because it multiplies. Just about once something becomes a habit, more things in that genre you'll begin to pick up. More things in the genre of the identity that you choose you'll begin to pick up. It multiplies over and over and over. That if you're not aware of even the hobbies and the habits that you have now, you may have some unfiltered, unchecked, non-biblical thoughts and actions that are just building up again in your mind. Because it's easy to see where you are now and to think, all right, yeah, I'm going to do that going forward. Yet you have a poison in your pocket. It's real easy to be on guard for the external enemy when you already have a Trojan horse in your house. It is important to look out for your present thoughts, hobbies, and people you already have close, even before thinking about what is to happen in the future. I think right now I could end the sermon and that was enough right there. (laughs) Going on forward, I just want to talk about distractions. And I say this because distractions are such inhibitors of progress many times. Don't get me wrong. There are good distractions that can actually make you more productive. For example, if you're working out, you have to run three miles. You're on the second one. Your lungs burning. If you're fully present and focusing on that pain, you may stop at two and a half. Now, if you distract yourself in that moment of pain so that you can make the utmost progress, you may go to four. So there are some good distractions, but generally they're inhibitors of progress. There was an analogy that I had done in my original writing of this. And it was, there's a bowl on a table, there's a little bit of water in it. It's still. And your aim is to empty that bowl. You go up to it and you just start blowing in the center. It spreads. You can see the bottom of the bowl. You think you're making progress. It looks a little bit clearer. But as soon as you stop blowing, the water fills right back in, rushing back in, miniature waves. It closes until it's still and there's no difference again. That's distraction. And many times, if you do that long enough, you'll forget what your goal even was. At first, it was to empty the bowl. You do that 10 times. Now it's just to make sure that you can see the center clearly. (laughs) Continuing on, there's obedience versus a lot of knowledge. And this comes from a talk that my dad and I had this last Tuesday in the morning after a morning prayer. And he was telling me how it's more important to have a little bit of knowledge and to be super obedient to it than to have a lot of knowledge and no obedience. And I don't even think I need to explain that further. You can know everything in the world, but if you do nothing about it, it's just head knowledge. (laughs) Thoughts that don't even go to talking. That's not even what I'm talking about here. (laughs) It's important to have obedience, to decide on that which you're going to focus on. Because you can start small, don't want to overload yourself, because usually then it's not maintainable. If you decide that in the morning you're going to change your whole life around, odds are you'll have given up by the end of the week. But if you decide that you're just going to do a little bit more, perhaps five push-ups in the morning, perhaps eat an apple a day, perhaps five minutes of prayer, you can maintain that for decades. Continuing on, to an extent, you choose what to think, simply put. Thoughts may seem out of our control, but again, we're not our thoughts. We're observers of them. 
They make our reality. And there is a question that you can ask if there is a thought that comes to your mind you're a little bit skeptical about. And it's simply, is this scriptural? This question is not from me. It was from an individual named Dr. Charles Stanley. The question is simply, is this scriptural? You may not know. You may not have memorized the Bible yet, but there's a beautiful tool that you likely have on you right now, and that's a phone. You can just look it up. Look at valid biblical scholars. Look for Bible commentaries. Do make sure that they're not biased, though. In modern times with political movements and social agendas, many biblical commentaries try to reinterpret the Bible for things that are clearly being stated just to push an agenda. You could go back for a commentary, say, centuries ago. It'll probably be valid, but at the same time, there's heretics in all ages. So still move with discernment. Continuing forward. Number seven, and my last point. It's simply to repent and pursue perfection. Repent, according to Vodibachum in his book, What He Must Be, is a change of attitude to a change of action. Now again, this begins in the mind. And again, it progresses down that natural chain to action. I would continue and say it's a change of action to a change of habit. A change of habit to a change of behavior. A change of behavior to a change of identity. To your deepest being changing. So that is thought. And to your most solid being changing. And that's identity. And I do just want to say that you won't be tempted beyond what you can handle. And this verse is commonly misunderstood as God won't give you more than you can handle. No, it says tempted more than you can handle. (laughs) In that moment when you can choose to either sin or not sin, you will not be tempted more than you can handle. If you decide to go through on that thought into action when you know you should not be, don't go to the scripture trying to say God said he wouldn't give you more than you can handle. You pass that phase. And the Bible tells us again and again to guard our hearts, to reform our minds, because that's where the temptation happens. You won't be tempted more than you can handle. So make sure to handle it while you still can. This is my sermon. Right. It was titled Egg Birth Beast. I didn't even connect it back to that. (laughs) Right. I think it was supposed to mean along the lines of the thought was the egg. The birth would become when it's action and the beast is once its identity. So make sure to handle it in the egg before it's out of what you can control. Simply put. (laughs) I'm George. I hope that you enjoyed. Compare this to the word and keep the word on your heart. Thanks for coming out, everybody. You are listening to brothersoftheword.com. This was the message titled Egg, Birth, Beast by George Bronner. This message is number 4106. That's 4106. To listen to thousands of free messages or to send this message number 4106 to a friend, go to brothersoftheword.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to BrothersOfTheWord.com often because, brother, you need the word. From brothers of the word.